Praise God. Well, we've been um, trying to get into our series of that which dwells within the Holy Spirit. I want to pick back up on that series this morning. In my first two messages to you, I tried to give you some introductory points about the Holy Spirit. Um, We had time. I'd be curious to know if we went around the room and just talked to every one of you and got your thoughts on the Holy Spirit, what you thought he was and who he is and what he does. And we would probably get a myriad of answers. Maybe you're someone who's still not exactly sure who or what the Holy Spirit is. And hopefully this series will be helpful and enlightening to you. I tried to give you a broad overview of the person because the Holy Spirit is a person. And let's not forget that. Try to give you a broad overview of the person of the Holy Spirit. There are many aspects that we could talk about in this series. I don't know exactly where all the Lord is going to lead me on with this, but there's the aspect of cleansing and the work of cleansing that the Holy Spirit can do, Uh, the sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit can do, Uh, the, the unifying work that the Holy Spirit can do. There's convicting, there's comforting, there are so many things the Holy Spirit does. But before we talk about any of these, there was one major aspect that I believe is vitally important to not only understanding who the Holy Spirit, but experiencing who the Holy Spirit. You see, there is a difference between the two. There's a difference between knowing something and experiencing something. My uh, mom has uh, made the statement, and you'd have to really think about this to find, you know, there's a deep-seated truth, but she said our churches today are filled with unsaved believers. You get that? They're filled with unsaved believers. That means there are people who they believe. There's a degree of knowledge. They believe that Jesus is the Son of Man, and and they believe that He went to Calvary, and they believe He probably rose again from the dead, but they've never experienced it. They've never internalized it. They believe, but they're still unchanged. And the same can be said for this work of the Holy Spirit. See, it's vitally important that we not just understand, but we experience the work of the Holy Spirit. That vitally important aspect I just alluded to, it can be described in one word, and that word is preparation. Preparation. Sorry if I kind of let you down a little bit with that. Sorry if that wasn't as exciting as the little build-up that I just gave it. But as I think we'll all soon see, it all begins with preparation. You see, much of life is about preparation, isn't it? This morning with Karen... uh, she uh, and Laura and Willie just didn't walk, uh, walk into the emergency room and they just didn't pop her down and just take this appendix out just like that. They spent hours of scans and tests and uh, getting things ready. And once they found out the appendix had to come out, they had to prepare. They had to get ready for the surgery. 
sports teams. Uh, our Buckeyes are about 60 days away from the opening kickoff. And, you know, they just don't show up. They're just not going to go over to Maryland and play Navy the first game and just show up and put their uniform on and play. No, there are days, weeks, months of hard practicing that takes place. Weddings. The bride and the groom just don't show up on the Saturday and say, here we are, and let's have everything go off without a hitch. No, there is months and months of planning and work that has to be done. I recently did a lot of landscape work in my yard, and I couldn't wait to get to the mulching part. That's the chrome part. That's the fun part, you know, the the final end stage part. But I just couldn't show up with the truck and just throw mulch out there. I mean, you had to weed and you had to cut back the bushes and the trees and then you had to uh, spray the grass killer and then I had to lay the cloth down over the the beds and and then I had to take the edge with the shovel and go around an edge and if you wanted to do it right. And then, so much of life is about preparation. Preachers, if they're worth anything, They will not just get up on Sunday and just spout something off. No, there is hours spent during the week preparing for the message of the Lord. Arlel Newell, longtime preacher and speaker and author in the Church of God movement. Many of you know him. He wrote a book called Receive the Holy Spirit. And he talks about the importance of of preparation when dealing with the Holy Spirit. I believe some of life's most exciting moments only comes when one prepares themselves for those moments. The same is true when working with the Holy Spirit. The glorious work of the Holy Spirit can only be experienced when your heart and my heart is ready to receive all that He has for us. Mm. You see, all of history, beginning with Genesis 1.1, all of history has been one big preparation for the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. From the creation of the world to the creation of God's people Israel, to the deliverance of God's people in Egypt made possible by the Passover lamb, to the numerous kings of Egypt, to the numerous judges of Egypt, to all the prophets who prophesied about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of history has been a preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, which I'm asking you to do, if you think about it, Every individual who has been mightily used of God down through history to bring about his story, history, his story, every individual, every man and woman, they have first yielded themselves to God's control. See, there's that word yield again. I told you it was going to pop up throughout this series. Can you think of one individual throughout the history of the Bible, in the story of the Bible, one person who has not been yielded to God, he used mightily? I can't think of anyone. 
They've all been men and women who prepared themselves by saying, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. They prepared themselves by humbling themselves to the Lord and the Holy Spirit and doing whatever it is that is asked of them. There are some examples that I want to talk about this morning that I think display this and the importance. Let me just ask you a personal rhetorical question. How important is the Holy Spirit in your life? Is He right there? I mean, part of your relationship with God and Jesus, is He is crucial of a person? Do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit or you're not sure? There's a song that Wayne Watson sings, and I've always wanted to do it. I may do it someday. But a couple of the lines go, Would I know you now if you left and closed the door? Would my flesh cry out, I don't need you anymore? Or would I follow you? Basically, the song is saying about, God, about the Holy Spirit, If you left and closed the door, would I even realize that you're gone? See, there are so many people that may have had some kind of experience with Jesus Christ, and that involves the Holy Spirit coming in, but from there on out, the Holy Spirit is left behind. The Holy Spirit is no longer the one leading our lives. How do you describe the Holy Spirit in your life? The first example I want to talk about is one that we talked about not all that long ago, the man Zacharias. Briefly hit on him. Luke 1 6 says this Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. What's this say to us? It says to me that Zacharias and Elizabeth were living surrendered lives unto God, and because of this, God cast them as major actors or major players in the story of Jesus. But let me back up for a moment. Those of you who know this story rather well know that Zacharias was not always living in that yielded, consecrated state. See, he had a stint of stubbornness and unbelief, didn't he? If you remember the story, he and his wife Elizabeth had prayed for years that God would bless them with a child. Now that they were old, Zacharias had long since given up on that prayer. But here we see a messenger from God telling him that they indeed would have a child in their old age. But what does Zacharias do? He does what a lot of us do. He did not believe. He could not believe it. Why could he not believe it? And I'm telling you, in essence, I believe he did not believe because he had not prepared himself. He had not yielded himself to the Holy Spirit. Thus, God made Zacharias mute and unable to speak. In other words, God refused to use him. 
But instead, God set Zacharias on the the sidelines and made him think about what he had done. God made him sit on the sidelines and made him think about the poor attitude, the poor spirit that he had done. But did you hear what I said? God did not use Zacharias at that time because he had not yielded himself to God. We do that too, don't we? Hmm. It's easy for us to sit back and say, man, Zacharias, man, you had an angel. You had a messenger from God come and tell you this. I wish God would do that with, with, with me. I would believe him. And he sends us signs and wonders and affirmations and we still don't believe. He sends us his word. His word. His word that says, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I have never let one of my children beg for bread, and yet we continue to unbelieve. Hmm. But our God in this story was a merciful and gracious God, and He gave Zacharias a second chance. Aren't you glad that we serve a God of second chances? That He gives you and I second chances and third chances. Zacharias' second chance came when the child was born. And the time came to naming the child. And tradition had it that uh, your firstborn, firstly your firstborn male, had to be named after the father. And here is Zacharias. He's, he's not able to speak. He's not able to uh, give his name that was... Uh, to be given, and so they went to Elizabeth, and then Elizabeth said, "No, his name is to be John, because the angel instructed her to name the boy John." When the people began to murmur and question Elizabeth, they looked at Zacharias, and Zacharias, at that moment, had a breakthrough moment. And I don't know what he reached for—if he reached for a rock or a Uh, an etch-a-sketch or whatever he reached for or whatever it was, but he wrote these words, His name is John. Four simple words. But I believe that was a powerful moment in the life of Zacharias. Now what just happened here? Zacharias humbled himself yielded to God in the Holy Spirit, and he finally gave in and obeyed. And because of this, what happened? In Luke 1, 64, instantly Zacharias could speak again, and he began praising God. Then verse 67 said, Then his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be led by the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be used in the service of God? Prepare yourself. Humble yourself. Obey. Follow. Say yes, Lord, yes, to whatever it is you're asking me to do. You see, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit when? When he first prepared his heart by humbling his heart and doing what God wanted him to do in the first place. Oh, how many times have we learned that hard lesson? If I only would have done what God wanted me to do in the first place. 
Arlo Newell said this, Complete trust, obedience, and acceptance of God's will are prerequisites to the presence of the Holy Spirit in human life. Read that again, if I can say that word. (laughs) Complete trust, obedience, and acceptance of God's will are prerequisites to the presence of the Holy Spirit in human life. You want to feel the presence of God? Rod, we felt the presence yesterday, didn't we? Rod and I were out here yesterday reading and praying and and um, and let me just, again, open up that invitation. Um, every Saturday at 9 o'clock, I try to come out here with other men, and we just we study God's Word. We pray together. We're praying for you. We're praying for the service. We're praying for those that are sitting in the pews. We pray for the anointing of God to fall. We're praying that we ourselves are strengthened and encouraged. And yesterday, the presence of God build that little office over there. You want to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in your human life? You've got to give Him complete trust, complete obedience, and acceptance of His will. And that's so true. But here's another thing. This is what Zacharias did. Here's another thing. Moms and dads, why do you think it is so important that we live surrendered lives to God and the Holy Spirit? specifically to parents here, to moms and dads? Is it just so that we can experience all that God has in store? No. Yes, that's part of it. But I also believe, hear me out, it's also so that our children can see and experience the fruit of surrendered lies unto God. Amen? We want our children to see what this looks like so that their lives and the futures can be led by the Holy Spirit as well. Boy, I do know this. Any time that I do any kind of work of significance, um, mowing the grass, um, you know, I, I, I have a rider that I'm using now, and to me that's fun. But... You know, if I really want to enjoy it, I have to do the preparation first. I like to go around and weed whip, and I like to make sure everything is, is good to go so that I can finally just enjoy that last 40 minutes of just sitting down. and Everything of significance, there's preparation. Preparation is hard, isn't it? It's hard. This is not one of those wow messages that's going to get you on your feet and make you leave this place and statically high. Preparation work usually isn't like that. But I will tell you this. There was a group of young students who felt God speaking to them to have a burden for one of their fellow students at college. And for several months, they made it a practice to get up earlier than they ever got up before and begin to pray for this student. Begin to pour out their hearts to God, that God would save their friend. And I guarantee you folks, there were some days when they would get up and they would think, man, I'm tired. 
I don't want to get up today, but you know what? The burden of our friend is pushing us here, and so they continue to get together. And then one morning in Hughes Auditorium in 1970, down at Asbury College, revival broke out. Many of you have heard about the Asbury revivals, 1950 and then 1970. And that revival that was started by a few young men who had dedicated time to pray, to prepare, to put in the work that it took, resulted in a revival that went on for weeks. Uh, they, 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 they started off in that chapel service that morning. And people began testifying and popping up. And, and they couldn't get it stopped. And it went on for like 18 hours straight. It just kept going. And then they went across the country. And wherever the students went, it spread to wherever the students went, to other universities and other colleges. They shut down, they shut down college life for about a week and a half. Because God showed up. Why did he show up? Just because they showed up one day for chapel? No, it's because people paid the price. They prepared their hearts. It's hard work. Preparation is not easy. Phyllis is one of the faithful to prepare her heart. She's one of our prayer warriors. That's not easy work, folks. There are others, those of you that prepare You want to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit? You've got to prepare your heart. I go on. My next example, speaking of John the Baptist. Let's look at him. Mark 1, you don't have to turn there. I'll have it up here for you. Mark 1 says, This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look. I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will... There's that word again, isn't it? And he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. There it is again. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. You know, if you look at certain individuals down through history, it seems as though they were just born to be good at something. They were just gifted right from the womb. I mean, I could go around the room and you could tell me individuals that come to your mind. I think of Muhammad Ali. I think, I mean, he was just, some people would say he was just born to be a boxer. Um, others would say in the modern, fairly modern area, Joe Montana was just born to be one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever lived. Henry Ford was just born to have a knack to fix things and be an inventor. He was just born to one day create the Model T Ford. Jimmy Stewart, those of you who like the old-time movies, he was just born to be an incredible actor. Those of you who like the Gaither vocal band, David Phelps was just born to wow us with his voice. The old-time Fred Astaire was just born to dance, wasn't he? We could go on and on. Max Locato, he was just born to move us with his writings. When I look at John the Baptist... I believe it's safe to say that he was born for one purpose and one purpose only. That was to prepare. 
Now, again, that wasn't one of those wow moments. But hear me out on this. He was born to prepare, to prepare the way of the Lord. We just read about it. That was his purpose. Now, think about it. How would you like it if your sole purpose in life was to prepare the way for someone greater than you? Someone who would outdo you. Someone who would be more popular than you. Someone who would surpass everything that you ever did. And your sole purpose in life was to promote that person. That's a rather hard thing to do, isn't it? One would have to be extremely selfless and sacrificing to do something like that. But that is who John the Baptist was. He fully committed and surrendered his life to the purpose of preparing the way of the Lord. At the height of his popularity, here comes Jesus. A time when most would be jealous and try to destroy their competition, John said of Jesus, He must increase and I must decrease. Stop right there. Oh, if that could be my prayer. Oh, if that could be your prayer. Oh, if that could be the prayer of the Barsmill Church of God, that our desire is that we would decrease and He would increase. Can you imagine what would happen to our community? What would happen to our world? Because John first prepared his heart. He was able to fulfill the destiny of preparing the way of the Lord. And it's because John surrendered to God and the Holy Spirit. It's because he did the hard work of surrendering his wills and his desires. Because he did that, look what Jesus said of him. He said, I tell you the truth, among those born of woman, women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But let me bring this full circle back to moms and dads. I wholeheartedly believe that one of the reasons, not the only reason, but I really believe that one of the reasons John turned out the way he did was because he had a mom and a dad who consecrated their lives to God. See, it comes back full circle. We talked about Zacharias and Elizabeth. And and John got to see parents live that kind of life, life that is surrendered before God. Now hear me out on this. Moms and dads, I'm not just talking about taking our kids to church. I'm not just talking about being faithful to taking your kids to the VBS program. I'm not just talking about saying grace before every meal. But moms and dads who will live fully surrendered lives at home. At home. Moms and dads who live the life at home when no one else is around. When no one else is looking. Moms and dads who treat and talk to their spouses and their kids the same way at home as they do here at church. Say amen. Yeah. I pray that my kids, I want my kids to grow up with memories 
of seeing a mom and a dad in their word and on their knees at home. I want my kids to have memories of a mom and dad who apologizes whenever they do wrong. I want our kids to see a mom and dad that are fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Because what an impact that's going to be on them. I believe John the Baptist turned out the way he did in part because of his mom and dad. Zacharias, Elizabeth, John the Baptist were all mightily used of God because they had prepared themselves by surrendering to the Holy Spirit. See, we're going to be talking about various aspects of the Holy Spirit. And there's such a thing as called carnality. Carnality, I would say, is the number one troublemaker in the church. Carnal people that act carnal, that act ugly, that don't get their way, or something was said to them, or they, got, they, they were looked at crossways and somebody said something to the mean, or maybe, I don't know what it is, but they act in a carnal way, and then before you know it, you've got fires to put out and little foxes to catch. And it's because they have not prepared their One more example, and then I will close. How much better of an example than Jesus? That's my favorite picture of him. Um, don't know if that really what he looks like. If you remember, I preached a message not long ago about the young artist, the young girl, who uh, had a vision and, um, um, of what Jesus may have looked like, and this is what she painted. I don't know how old she was. She was like 10, 11 years old when she painted that. Remember um, Burpo? Colton Burpo, the one who uh, had that near-death experience and went to heaven, and heaven is for real. And Colton first saw this picture that that girl had done. He said, that's him, that's Jesus. <laughs> so I'm going to use that picture. Jesus. Not only do we see the act of preparation from those leading us to Jesus, we see it in Jesus himself. And I believe we can see it in a powerful scene. You'll go with me to the Jordan River somewhere around 26, 27 A.D. John the Baptist is now back in the scene. And John the Baptist is a rather powerful and influential man. His message of repentance through baptism is drawing hundreds, if not thousands. His unadulterated commitment to preach what is morally right and wrong in the eyes of a righteous God is not only bringing him a lot of popularity, but it's bringing him a lot of disdain. Not only from Herod Antipas, but from the religious elite in the area. John the Baptist is indeed a powerful man. On this day, John is doing what he has been doing for quite some time. He is baptizing many while telling them to repent of their sins and make way for the coming of the Lord. And as he ushers another individual out of the water, he turns back around to find one whose eyes penetrate him like light. Here stands Jesus, ready to take his turn under the water. What a sight. Two men, two 
very powerful men. One who has risen to a position of influence by being willing to boldly proclaim God's truths. The other is one who existed from the beginning. One whom John said had come after me, but was yet before me. Two men, two powerful men. In the middle of the Jordan, yet what do we see? What we see in this scene is something that makes them both great. We see them both portray a spirit of humility and meekness. I hesitate to say this because he's here and I know nobody is perfect, but one of the most humble men and one of the most meek men I've ever met in my life is my father-in-law. He's not perfect, is he, Mert? <laughs> he's awful close in our eyes. It's not a whole lot of wrong that Chuck can do in Parker and Jenna's eyes. And for 18, 19 years now, I have seen... People drawn to him. Why? Lord, you're like that too. Why? Humble. He's meek. You see, that's what draws people to each other. And here are two powerful men. Men who could uh, take over Judea. Men who could take over Samaria. Men who many in the area wanted them to take over the Roman government. This is our time. Let's take back Israel for ourselves. Let's get our kingdom back. Let's get our king back on his throne. Jesus, John the Baptist, one of you two can do this. Two powerful men. And yet what do we see? They're humble. And they're meek. And as John looks at Jesus, he says, Oh no, no, I'm, I'm not baptizing you. You need to baptize me. You see, John decreased while he tried to increase Jesus. But here is Jesus, the one who hung the stars in place. And, and I had this thought, now follow this with me. Here is Jesus. What a moment. I mean, these two are cousins. They're cousins. If you follow the scripture, Elizabeth and Mary were related. And so John and, and Jesus were cousins. I don't know if they grew up playing together. I know that I don't know if they had any memories like me and Matt had. You know, my cousin Matt Rowe that used to be here years ago. I, Matt and I used to fight and scrap, and Matt used to pinch me all the time and pull my hairs out. I don't know if John and Jesus had any times like that. And uh, uh, one time I got so mad at Matt, I had a little toy guitar. And I said, Matt, if you pinch me one more time, and he did, and I just took that guitar and I whacked it over his head, and I busted the whole guitar over his head. I was right. Matt was wrong. He deserved it. So, Is this recording? Can't, all right, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus and John had any times like that, but here they are. And here's Jesus. And here's the thought that I had. While Jesus was in Mary's womb, he was a first person witness when John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother Elizabeth's womb. And perhaps the Bible tells us when John leaped 
When he was filled with the Holy Spirit, I, Jesus was right there. Elizabeth and Mary were right there. And, and uh, uh, you know, the, the baby leaped. Perhaps Jesus leaped as well. Maybe Jesus just smiled. Maybe Jesus got excited. Maybe Jesus did a little bit of a happy dance in his mother's room. I don't know what it was. But here was Jesus, the creator of the universe. This Jesus, the divine deity, realizes that he too must fulfill his father's plan and set an example for you and me and go under the water. You see, Jesus knew before he began his ministry, he had to prepare himself for all that lie in store. What a scene! John takes Jesus by the hand, lowers him into the water, and as soon as Jesus was raised back up, and if you know the popular passage, it says this, after his baptism, as Jesus come up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him, and a voice from heaven that said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy you know here's a point of interest some have noted that at this exact moment all three persons of the trinity were together at one moment isn't that kind of cool isn't that kind of neat no really isn't that kind of cool (laughs) it is to me I mean, you have Jesus the Christ in person. You have the Holy Spirit now in the form of a dove. We don't know exactly what that was, but the Scripture says that. And then we have God the Father in an audible voice of confirmation. Wow, what a moment. All three there together at one time. But here in the Jordan River, the muddy Jordan River, we can see how Jesus prepared himself by being fully surrendered to God in his mission. And note that it was after Jesus' act of obedience that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. But Jesus never could have endured what he did in the desert had he not prepared himself. Note to self. Newsflash, you will face temptation. And the time to be prepared for temptation is not in the middle of the temptation. The time to overcome, the ability to overcome, comes before. You and I had better be prayed up. We had better be read up. We had better be fellowshipped up. We had better be prepared For when the times of temptation come, we can then withstand the evil one. We can tell the enemy, we can resist him and he will flee. But I tell you, you cannot wait until you're in the middle of a temptation to say, Oh God, now I need your strength. That's taking a big risk. Prepare yourself before Jesus prepared himself before the wilderness experience. Which is why he was able to overcome. Final key point and then I'm done. This is big for me. After Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, on the 41st day, he stands ready to minister. His ministry officially began. 
He was ready for ministry because he prepared himself. Earlier, by being obedient to what God and the Holy Spirit wanted him to do. Listen, you want to be used of God? You want the power to overcome the enemy? The power to overcome in times of temptation and times to overcome in your wilderness experience because those times will come. You had better prepare yourself by saying yes to whatever the Holy Spirit asks of you. Some of you are saying, I don't know. What is the Holy Spirit going to do? I mean, what's he asking? I don't know if I fully understand the Holy Spirit. And You know what? He always meets you where you're at. He doesn't blow you away. He doesn't try and confuse you. He doesn't, you know, uh, fill your mind with things that don't make sense. It may be just one thing right now that he's asking someone to do. That's preparing your heart. You have to be willing to say, okay, God, I'll say yes. You had better prepare yourself. Is there anything in your life that is not quite right? Anything you feel the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on? Listen, to really make a difference in the world, to really minister to people, it's going to take more than just some special innate ability that you and I may have. It's going to take more than our ability to be able to relate to people. Some of you are people persons, people, people. Some of you are not. You cannot rely just on your ability to relate to people. It's going to take more than our ability to speak well from the Scriptures or from our Sunday school rooms or from our pulpits our ability to minister, a minister must go above and beyond our own ability. It has to. We must surrender our lives, our will, our everything. And when we do that, we will not only echo the words, but we will experience these words in Isaiah. Where is it at? Advance it for me, Ryan, please. It's not working. You know what? Let's all go there. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. I'm almost done. I'm not letting technology confound me this morning. There it is. You leave consecrated lives. You surrender your life to the will of God. And we can echo and experience this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. You want to minister to God in this world and the world around you? Do you want to be an effective ambassador for Jesus? I want you to listen to these words that Arlo Newell says. This is, to me, this is powerful stuff, and then I end with this. To attempt to minister without the approval of the Holy Spirit is to speak without authority. It is to testify without the experience and to speak of the fullness when inwardly We are empty. He alone authenticates our ministry. No man, not even the Son of God, can do God's work without God's Spirit. 
No gift or ability equips us for service in the body of Christ other than the Holy Spirit. All who would, listen to this, this last sentence. All who would serve as laborers in the vineyard of the Lord, educators, Sunday school teachers, small group teachers, any kind of teachers in the church, educators, musicians, administrators, preachers, missionaries, and all other servants must be filled with the Holy Spirit and approved by Him. So I ask you this morning, are you prepared? <laughs> are you prepared to say, yes, God, you, you know, all, the, all that the Holy Spirit has for us, We can't experience any of it until we are like soft clay in the potter's hands. Elders, deacons, teachers, musicians, singers. We have to live consecrated lives if we want God to use us. And I pray that's your desire this morning. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, um, you've taken us on a journey, Lord. You've taken me on a journey. Man, I dare not want to get into the pulpit without having the anointing. And God, I pray that you would speak to me as well. Father, um, if there's anyone here that just needs to come forward and and affirm that they truly are indeed committed, that they want to prepare their hearts. And by preparing, we mean, God, I'm yours. God, there's no pretenses. God, I'm going to give up those things that are holding me back. God, I'm going to say yes to whatever it is that you want. See, God, we understand that for us to experience all that the Holy Spirit has, for us to be able to minister, for us to be able to be victorious in our life, we have to prepare. We have to say yes. Whatever it is you want us to do, God. Thank you for this time together. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.